Want more of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. Welcome again, my friends, to another edition of the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. I'm going to share with you uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is how widows get screwed when it comes to taxes. I'm going to share it basically using, uh, first and foremost, a Vanguard uh, article I came across not too long ago. Given that it's tax season right now, the required minimum distributions on people's minds, um, this is a pretty good article to start with and then go over and show you what happens to widows and widowers, frankly, um, but widows when they, uh, when, they, when they survive their spouse and what happens to the tax consequence for them because it's, uh, it's bad. And of course, our uh, illustrious leaders in Washington, D.C. have done nothing about this, and it, uh, it, it just it ticks me off. All right, so Vanguard talks, but now I love Vanguard. I mean, they're a great company. I cut my teeth there from 98 to 2000, I think, and I learned a lot. It just absolutely impeccable. And Jack Bogle, the guy who founded Vanguard, he wrote the book Common Sense on Mutual Funds, and I have a signed copy. Uh, just, it's, it's just you got to read it. I mean, it'll change everything about the way you think about investing. But Vanguard does lots of good research uh, for professionals like myself, but also for just regular folks, um, maybe like you, uh, that you can learn from. You don't need to uh, have an account with Vanguard to read some of the stuff that they do. So this one, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. This one's taxation of required minimum distributions. Um, in my career, I've talked to a lot of people who think capital gains and tax exempt and all this could be applicable to their RMDs. And the answer is no, it can't be. Anything that comes out of an IRA, a 401k, or a 403b, or even an annuity, but we're talking about qualified accounts now, is treated as ordinary income for tax purposes. Anything. Anything that comes out of those accounts are treated as ordinary income for tax purposes. I don't care what you had in the, in the IRA. I don't care. If it comes out of it, it's taxed as ordinary income, which means it's subject to your income tax bracket which is less favorable than capital gains, tax-exempt interest, and dividends. All right, and so for RMDs, just a refresher, once you hit the age of 70, the IRS requires you to start taking withdrawals from your accounts, okay? Um, and the simple way to look at this is if you have, uh, it doesn't matter the amount of money you have in your account. If as a 31 December of the year before, you divide that amount by 27.4, for most people, and that will give you your RMD amount. So here it is in March of 2018. If you had $500,000 in your IRA at the end of the 31 December 2017, take 500,000, divide by 27.4, and you have an account, an RMD of $18,250. That's first and foremost. Now, the divisor is 27.4 in year one, it's 26.5 in year two, 25.6 in year three and so on and so on. So it starts getting greater and greater the amount that you have to take out. Essentially, it's basically 3.6% in the first year, 38 in the second, 4% in the third and so on and so on. So as you get older, the amount of RMD increases as a percentage of your account balance. 
So what happens a lot, if you retire today with $500,000 and you're expecting to get 8% rates of return, where you're only pulling out 3%, 3 3.5%, 4%, I should say, but you're still getting 8%, so the account is growing more than the amount you're pulling out. So very easily could you find yourself as 80 years old with $650,000 in there, and now your RMDs are pretty substantial because now you're at a 5% distribution amount because you're getting older and it's only going to get more and more as you age. Um, the IRS allows you to deduct contributions going in, but they want their money and they're going to get it. Remember, they're going to get their money. You're deferring the tax. You're not making it tax free. You're just kicking the can down the corner until ideally you have a better tax bracket scenario. At least that's what we've been told to believe. And I'll show you why that could be bad planning for sure. Um, well, yeah, what if you miss it? It's pretty important. If you miss it, you're paying a 50% penalty on the amount you miss. And Vanguard has a pretty good example here. If your RMD is 50,000 bucks and you only take out 30, you'd be short of the $20,000 you were supposed to. So you're going to owe the IRS $10,000 in penalty. Plus, you still got to pay income tax on all that money, too. So it's a double whammy. Income tax plus the penalty for the amount that you missed from your RMD. Side note, I've been in this business a long time. I cannot tell you how many people wait until the end of December to take their RMD out. Or they have it set up automatically in their, their brokerage firm. So say you're working with Charles Schwab. And you say, hey, Schwab, send me a check on 29th of December every year and I'm done. What happens if the computers are out? What happens if you're in Greece on vacation? They need to get a hold of you. It's not on Schwab, my friends. It's on you. Now, the IRS may be lenient and waive that one-time fee for, I don't know. But what if they don't? What if they're not so lenient? I, I mean, at the end of the day, just don't wait till the end of the year. Just take it out at the beginning of the year. It doesn't hurt you anymore. You're only going to pay tax on the amount at, when you file your taxes. So just don't, don't wait till the end of the year to have something go awry. And now you're in front of the IRS begging for relief on a $10,000 penalty. Not good. Uh, we talked about how IRA RMDs are calculated. We talked about how they're taxed. Again, they come out, they go in tax deferred, they come out taxes, ordinary income. Uh, can you donate your RMD to a charity and avoid taxes? Absolutely, you can. Qualified charitable distributions are wonderful. Uh, President Obama signed this into law to make it permanent. Every year is a, is a, a political you tug a war between the Democrats and Republicans, and finally just got on board. They said, we got to make this permanent. So if I have an RMD of 25000 bucks and I don't need it, you can go ahead and give it to your church or the Boy Scouts or your charity, whatever you want to do, and you will not be subject to a 1099, which you have to offset for the charitable contribution. It's just a little bit more easier to get that money to the charity without you having to fill out various forms on your tax scenario. Um, all right, so let's, oh, actually, real quick, before I go, you might see these XYPN tabs up here. I join on to the XYPN plan, XY planning network as, uh, and you should look at it if you're looking for an advisor. They have, I guess, 300 advisors or something like that. Yeah, the reason being because there's this huge gap of, of clients that were not being served in the financial advisory world because they didn't have any, that much money under management in terms of assets. You know, they didn't have a lot of commissions to pay. And so advisors steered clear of people who are, you know, maybe you're in the 30s and 40s making decent money, but they didn't have the, the asset base to turn over to a professional money manager in which the money manager could get feed on. So XY Planning Network said, you know, forget that. We got to serve these people, and we do. And so as a fee-only financial advisor, you can pay a bunch of different ways to fee-only guys. You just won't pay a commission. I tell you that right now. You might pay for assets under management. You might pay hourly. You might pay for the financial plan. 
And that's what I do. I said, I don't charge for, um, for, there's no commissions. I charge however you want to pay me, either by the planning that we do, or if you want me to invest your money, I'll charge you a fee for that. And that's why I love XY Planning Network, because you know explicitly going in what the fees are, other than this, oh, there are no fees. Eh, I don't like that at all. So if you're wondering about this, that's what that is. They have tons of different literature as well that I, that keeps me on top of my game, hopefully. But uh, that's what that is. All right, so let's show you. I'm going to show you how the widows are screwed when it comes to taxes. And we're going to use our couple, uh, Bob and Jane, again. And this time we're going to get, again, they're the same age. They were married the same, they're born the same year, same age. Um, and their total Social Security benefit is 42000 And we derived that from Bob has a benefit of $2,400 a month. That's his PIA, primary insurance amount. Click there to figure out that. Jane did not work in this case, so Jane's just going to take half of Bob's PIA and get her spousal benefit. All right, so Jane gets $1,200 a month because they're both taking the Social Security at full retirement age. Bob's taking $2,400 a month, which means their total benefit is $42,000 a year. Now, they have $40,000 of RMD, so their required minimum distributions are $40,000. And so what we do to calculate their taxes is we got to take their uh, half of their Social Security plus their all their other income, and that gives us a provisional income. And provisional income is the only number we need to figure out how much of their Social Security benefit will be subject to income tax. So provisional income is $61,000, which means I did all the calculations. I, I have it set up to do it for me. Uh, that means $20,450 of their Social Security, of their $42,000, so basically half of their Social Security benefit will be subject to income taxes, okay? With, with me so far. So all they're trying to do is get two things. How much of their Social Security is subject to tax? Then how much is, is everything else subject to tax? So we take their provisional income, $20,450, add it to their other income, and that gives us an adjusted gross income of $80,450. All right, so they have an AGI, 80450 We take their standard deductions. They each get $12,000. That's $24,000. And that means their taxable income is $36,450. $36,450. So I go to my other sheet here, which I created, as a term of their tax bracket for a married couple filing jointly here in 2008. And that's what it'll show you there. That's the tax brackets. 36,450 is their uh, tax income. That means they have a total tax of 39,000 or 30, $3,992, basically $4,000. Okay, so they have to pay tax on, they have a $4,000 tax. We can go back here to put in what that means their effective tax rate is, and that shows you, you put the tax rate is 4.87%. So a couple who has $82,000 of income is paying $4,000 of tax, which means they're only losing 5% of their total income to the IRS. Now, this is not included in the state that you live in, so be very careful there. This is just the feds. That's not too shabby. It's actually pretty good. $82,000 income and only $5,000 or $4,000 of tax? I'll take that. Now, we kill Bob off because they're very chivalrous here at Heritage Wealth Planning. So now Jane, she will get the, the she'll get the more of either Bob's benefit when he died or her own benefit, when this case is her spousal benefit, which is $1,400 or $1,200 or Bob's $2,400. Well, she's going to lose her benefit and she's going to retain Bob's benefit 
And this is called a survivor benefit. So Jane's going to keep his $2,400 a month. Now, we're not inflating anything. We're not changing anything in terms of anything. Here. We're just using the exact same numbers as we did over here to make it apples to apples. So Jane's Social Security now is $20,800. Half of that is $14,400. She still has the same RMDs because when Bob died, he left the IRA to Jane. Jane's the same age, which means her RMDs are the exact same amount. It could be higher, it could be lower, depending on when Jane was born relative to Bob. But if they're born the same year, R&D is the exact same amount, $40,000. So now we take half of Jane's uh, Social Security plus this income, and that's her provisional income. Her total provisional income is $54,400. But because she's single and the brackets are significantly lower for a single than a married couple, her taxable Social Security benefit is higher than it was when she was married. In fact, it's $1,500 higher, but it's even worse than that. She only has $28,800 of Social Security benefit, of which $22,000 roughly is taxable. Whereas before, they had $42,000 of Social Security benefit, and only $20,000 was taxable. So not only does she have lower Social Security benefits, but because she's single and the tax brackets are higher when it comes to Social Security, she has more provisional income. It's crazy. So now we take her provisional income, add it to her all of the other income, which is her RMD, and her adjusted gross is $61,840, which is uh, $1,500 more than it was before. So she's... <laughs> She has significantly less income. She has $14,400 less in income, but she has $1,500 of AGI, of adjusted gross. But it gets worse. Because she's single, she only has one standard deduction. She has taxable income of $49,840, which is almost $14,000 more than what they had before. So she has $50,000 roughly of taxable income which is basically uh, 14,000 more than they had before, even though she has 14,000 less in total income. <laughs> it's crazy, but it gets worse. Why? Because we're gonna go back to the sheet. <sighs> Bob was a mind. All right, so here we will see that if you're married filing jointly and you have taxable income, uh, again, taxable, oops, let me get my face down as you can see. Again, taxable income is after your standard deductions or after your itemized deductions. That's all that matters. So if you're 19,7740, you you're in the 12% bracket. If you're, you're 38,8250, you're in the 22% bracket. So in this case, because they had taxable income, Jane and Bob at 36,450, they're in the 12% bracket. But now Jane, with her taxable income of $49,840, is in the next highest bracket. She's in the 22% bracket, which means she has taxes due of $6,903. So now we go back. We say $6,903 is her tax. What does that make her effective tax rate? Double. She has more than double the effective tax than did they when they were married filing jointly. She has 14,000 less income, basically 20% less income, but she has 100% more in tax, simply because the way the tax code takes advantage of widows and widowers. It's a fact. There's, there's, you can argue this all day long to no avail. The facts are once you're a widow 
or widower, you're losing a standard deduction, you're paying more in social security income tax, and you're paying more as well in your tax rate on your own money as well, simply because you lose a married filing jointly status. It's, it's horrific. So now, now it's only gonna get worse, because as these RMDs go up, which they will, as she gets older, she's gonna have more and more and more adjustable gross income, more and more and more taxable income. And the thing that ticks me off even more, because the social security taxation is not indexed for inflation, thankfully the tax brackets are, she's not getting, this will be forever her taxes on social security. It will never change other than go up. Now it'll never be more than 85% of this will be subject to income tax, but it'll never be lower. It will never ever be lower simply because the social security tax tables are not indexed for inflation. So this is the very minimal she'll have for subject to taxation for social security, unless she starts giving this money away to charity. But if that's the only way she can reduce her taxes. There's no other way. There's no other way. Yeah. So anyway, hope this was educational for you. As you can tell, I, this ticks me off. And I, I, my concern is how many people in their tax planning are looking at the future for their surviving spouse. And generally, it's going to be a wife. I mean, just again, most men die off and leave their wives as widows. How many of you all are understanding that you're leaving your widow with a huge tax bomb? I call it the widow's tax trap. One of these days, I'm going to get that trademark, the widow's tax trap, because you're seeing it right here. And we're not talking about rich people. This is Jane and Bob, just regular, ordinary, middle-class Americans, where Jane has a 100% increase in taxes, even though she has 20% decrease in income. That's not right. So start your proactive tax planning now. If you're in your 50s, you need to start it now. What? are some strategies to do in order to reduce the widow's tax trap. If you follow my book, 21 Reasons You Need a Roth IRA, I have 21 reasons that you need a Roth IRA. And one of these, and this is, we're talking about this, probably 90% of the conversations how to deal with widows and widowers and what to reduce this tax trap, to take advantage of the married filing jointly status that they're in now. All right, uh, thumbs up, questions, questions. I'd love to hear your questions or comments below. Write your congressman for sure. Start your proactive planning. Your CPA, your tax, I don't know, tax actor, what's the TurboTax, H&R Block guy, your financial advisor. Talk to him. Say, look, I do not want to be left in the widow's tax trap. And I got to say, if they don't know, if they're kind of like, oh, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's wrong. You do worry about it because the stuff you do today will pay off many, many, many moons from now when you're leaving your spouse as a, as a widow or widower. All right, don't forget to subscribe and then also hit the little notification bell so you can be notified on future content that we do here at the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. Thanks, guys.